Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. So good to see all of you here today. and I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we will begin our reading in verse 13. This is sermon 8 of a series of messages. Our living hope. And I have to tell you, I, I tell the guys every Sunday morning when we pray together, man, I'm excited about the message today. I was trying to figure out a different way to say it today because I'm, I'm excited about this one, but I'm excited about it at a whole different level. It's just, it's just God's got something awesome to say, and I want us to read carefully together and let him speak to our hearts. Sermon number 8, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do not do right. He says, don't defund those guys. For such is the will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters. With all respect, now of course, unless they're ridiculous or, or unreasonable, right? Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. That, that, that finds favor with God. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, it finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Don't miss that. That's why you've been called. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Every passage I've discovered has a key. Just bear with me a second. A key, pa- a key word, a key phrase, and it really unlocks the passage. Let me read this key again. To follow in his steps. That's what he's trying to get us to do. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. 
but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Thirteen times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. When he called the man writing this letter to us and his brother Andrew, he told them, come follow me. Later in Matthew chapter 4, he will look at James and John, and he will invite them to come and follow him. And then in Matthew 9, the tax collector himself writes about his story. He says, Jesus only said two words to me, follow me, follow me. And then to all of those who know the Lord. In John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What does it mean to follow him? I'm not sure that we quite understand this because in our world today, that, term, that, that phrase following someone takes on a lot of different meanings. There, there are people who follow Elvis, uh, for example. No, no kidding. I, 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 I kind of liked him, but most of the people that I know now that followed him weren't even born until after he died. It just means they listen to his music, maybe. And uh, uh, I started to say read his books. I don't think he ever wrote any. But, but you might follow C.S. Lewis. You, you might follow... Uh, you might follow some other actor in all his movies. You might follow someone uh, in NASCAR or, or whatever. But following someone, you can follow someone on Facebook. It doesn't mean that you know them, that you've ever met them. It doesn't mean that you have any intention of going where they are going. We need to try to erase all of that out of our mind because when Jesus tells us, like sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Let me tell you how sheep follow. When sheep have a shepherd and they know who that shepherd is, and they do. A shepherd can mix and mingle his sheep with five different flocks, but when he starts to walk away, his sheep will follow him. All he's got to do is call them, and they know his voice, they hear his voice, and there are tons of shepherds and tons of sheep, but his will begin to work their way out of that pack, separate themselves from the other sheep and they will follow the shepherd. And I can tell you, when a sheep is following a shepherd, that doesn't mean he's going to listen to his podcast next week. No, when sheep follow a shepherd, they watch his feet and wherever he goes, they follow. Wherever he goes, he can lead them beside still waters, he can lead them into green pastures, he can lead them anywhere he wants to because wherever the shepherd goes, the sheep will go. And that is how it works. And I doubt seriously, I'm certain of it, that when he invited these first disciples to come and follow him, I doubt seriously they understood exactly where he was going. But from the time he took his first breath in that manger in Bethlehem, I am telling you, Jesus Christ was headed toward the cross. 
And he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, come and follow me. And I don't mean just read books about me, do a devotional about me occasionally. I, I, I don't mean have a picture of me uh, hanging beside Elvis in the living room. No, I mean for you to actually come and go with me. Wherever I am going, get in behind me and follow me. And you and I understand, well, he was going to the cross. And, and, and we have that here in the passage. It, he gave us that as an example for us. He said, come follow me. And, and, and because uh, I'm headed to the cross. Now, we're not the first ones to get confused about this. Matter of fact, if you read in Luke chapter 9, there were some that didn't understand what Jesus meant. says that as they were going along the road that someone said to him, I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus, uh, he told Jesus. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I, I'm not just here to absolve homelessness. I may cause some. Because following me might lead you to some places where you have nothing. And another said, follow me. Or he said to another one, follow me. He said to him, follow me. And he said, Lord, permit me first. I, I will. But permit me first to go and bury my father. Man. And Jesus told him to allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. If you want to follow me, that sounds like a pretty big deal. I need to go bury my father. I have deep personal issues. These are family issues. And you know God wouldn't want me to neglect them, right? You know that God would not, that would, that would not, that my Jesus, oh Lord, we done brought him out. My Jesus would never say something like that. Jesus in the New Testament just said something exactly like that. It, it, it's tough. And, and, and another also said, I will follow you, Lord, in verse 61. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Go home, tell them bye, but stay there. Because when I say follow me, I mean the fishing nets hit the dirt. And you work your fingers to get the rest of the sand out as you come on up the hill. And you get in behind me and we go. And you go where I go. I think about one more. I think about one that did understand him and still said no. Rich young ruler came to Jesus in verse 21 of Matthew 19. Jesus said to him, if you wish to... Be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Well, I want us to talk about that. The key verse I believe in this passage is he has given us an example to follow in his footsteps. And I'll go ahead and tell you, he is, it's going to lead to two things, and neither one of them are easy. It's going to lead, first of all, to submission, and secondly, to suffering. And they're outlined for us right here in this passage. Now, you remember why we're in First Peter. God led us to this passage because we are trying to get ready. He, Peter has already warned us, prepare your minds, because if you think this world is messed up now, it'll be upside down before you know it. 
It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And God's people need to understand that, that, that those that just kind of were playing around and made church a hobby won't be here. They won't be here long. But God's people have got to get together, pull together, love God and each other more than ever. Be more dedicated and faithful than ever. Prepare your minds. Be ready to give a defense for that hope that is within you because we got some tough days ahead. But God is going to be with us. We just have to remember to follow Him. Let's look first of all at submission. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Ray Pritchard says if you ask him, he's, he's a pastor, I, I like reading some of his stuff. He, he said, if you ask me what is the hardest doctrine in all of the Bible, he says, I think the answer depends on what you mean. If you mean what is the hardest doctrine to understand, I would nominate the doctrine of the Trinity. I'd probably agree with him there. If you mean what is the hardest doctrine to believe, I might suggest the doctrine of eternal hell. I probably would agree with him there too. It's tough. Hard, hard to wrap your mind around that. But if you mean what is the hardest doctrine to obey, he says, I think it is the doctrine of submission. None of us like to be told what to do. None of us like to be controlled. Even we who claim to know Christ, we're so quick sometimes to, to warn people to keep that control at a distance. I, I, I mind my business. I don't tell you what to do. Don't you tell me what to do. We like that. I can tell you that bolts right up to my strong personality and my spirit of independence. It, it, it just, it really is uh, 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 so, so difficult for, for me to, to deal with this, even to preach this. But man, did God ever touch my heart. Isaiah 53, 6, 800 years before Christ came, says all of us like sheep, though, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We all have our own way. You have your own way of doing it, right? And, and, and your wife has her own way of doing it. So you have to come together in holy matrimony and pray and go to God with it and come together and, and, and compromise and then do it her way. But we all have our own way and each of us has turned to that way. And I have to tell you, I'm from a dysfunctional family. And so are you. Because our great, 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 many times over grandfathers and grandmother was Adam and Eve. And, and they turned to their own way. They had everything in the world you could imagine. One tree, one point of sovereignty, one thing that God said, don't eat of it, don't touch it, according to Eve. Don't mess with it, because in the day that you do, you will die. you got all of these other trees and all of these other great blessings. Do not get focused on that. Leave that one tree alone, because in this great relationship we have, he says, i got to always know, and you have to always understand that I'm God and you are not. One tree. We made it two chapters. One tree. Let's talk about three things about our submission. He outlines them for us here. One, the reach of our submission. Whether to a king or as to one in authority or governors, even tell servants in verse 18, be submissive to your master in all respects, not only to those who are gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
Unreasonable. Yeah. And is he condoning slavery? No. The Bible does not condone slavery. That is a lie that's been told about Scripture. But, but here's the part that, that non-believers can't grasp. Peter and other writers, Paul himself, is telling us in the New Testament that even if you're in a slave, even if you're in a situation that, that God does not even like, don't forget, he got in some situations down here he didn't like, but he was submissive. And he says, even in an institution so vile and so godless and so selfish and, and so depraved as slavery, he said, if you have a master, you submit to that master and you give yourself to him in a way that not only honors him, but honors God. I know. I, I wasn't anticipating a roar. Because you think about it, man, we've got some crazy people today that, and, and we've had them for years, that, that they, they are leaders in our, our country, they're politicians. They, how do you how are we as Christians supposed to honor them and not compromise the Word of God? I think we have to understand something, that when God established this world, He established circles of authority. He did it at work. He did it at home. He did it at church. He does it in society as well. And without it, you have chaos. And yeah, it is a place where a, a, lot, of, a lot of selfish depraved sinful people find power they hold it over other individuals they 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 are, are are not fair in their decisions they make it all about them they abuse and use people yes that does happen but peter is saying even in the worst kinds of relationships you're not what's important they are not what's important the one that's important is god honor them in such a way that people would go, wow, that guy's got to have a supernatural power. I'd have knocked that man's teeth out so fast. Man, I've said stupid stuff like that. Oh, uh, I'd like to see him do that to me, yeah. That sounds like a Christian, doesn't it? I can tell you, we all like to say it. Peter says, No. In fact, if you look at it, this will blow your mind. In the very first community that was ever established, and that was the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were talking to each other in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. And when that Trinity, when God was here on earth in flesh, Jesus cried out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, please let this cup pass from me, Father. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. That doesn't mean that he was not equal with God. Paul will tell us that later on. Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He wasn't reaching for it. He didn't have to strive for it. He was God when he got here. So husbands and wives, when we talk about family and submitting to each other and the wife submitting to the husband as the head of the home, we're not talking about subordination. We're talking about submission. Well, Jesus was equal with God and he was willing to submit. So to glorify God, even when we're in relationships where we're ever bit as equal, sometimes it calls for submission. Submission. Well... 
I'll move on, but I want to remind you of one thing before you get to thinking, well, yeah, but Peter never did meet, and you can just name whichever president you hate the most. No, you know who the emperor was when Peter wrote this? Nero. The very one that would later hack his head off. You think you get, we, have we ever elected anybody more ridiculous than Nero? Don't answer that. I'm saying to you, Peter understood it clearly. But that's how you glorify God. That's the reach of our submission. The rationale for our submission. Why would we do that? Verse 16, act as free men. We've been set free. And do not use your freedom, though, as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Yeah, you've been set free. But use your freedom as a bondservant of God. And we know that a bondservant is someone who had been set free. Somebody had paid the price, set the slave free. He could not be enslaved any longer. They would mark him in the ear so that if somebody else came along, he couldn't take him home and make him his servant. He could just say, here you go, I'm free, been set free. Usually, though, whoever paid the price, that slave would serve that master from then on the rest of his life, not because he had to, but because he loved him out of the freedom he had been given. That's the kind of service we are to be to God. Could you imagine someone landing on Iwo Jima and telling his commanding officer, I don't bow to you, I only bow to the flag. If it had Facebook back then, I'm sure it'd be on his page. I only bow to God and the flag. Do, do you think he, well, one, the butt of the rifle would take most of his teeth out then? While he's trying to get back up on his feet, he would get a lesson in military command. But perhaps one day he'd grow up and realize that, you know what, to bow to that flag that we're going to stand up on Mount Suribachi means that I bow to this officer. He's talked dirty about my girlfriend, <laughs> told me he was his, my mama now. He's chewed me out up one side and down the other. I, I saw those boats the other day. I, I got some documentaries that I, I watched for. My, my wife loves. We just cuddle up on the couch together with a hot cup of coffee and have a romantic evening where we watch them stormy with Jima. She goes, I'm going to my room and watch something else. I love those documentaries. saw them in the boat the other day. I was about to drop the lid on it. My uncle was there. 80% of those first boats never made it to the sand. I saw those little faces of those young men, some of them 15 years old, lied their way in. Can you imagine a generation of people? Think about our world today. Imagine a generation of people where 15-year-olds lie so they can go fight for their country. There's little faces under those helmets. Some of them looked like it was rattling around on a fence post. Their little head wasn't big enough to even feel the thing up, knowing that when they dropped that lid, 80% of you won't even get out of this boat. They're going to kill you dead as a hammer. I think about that, and now I think about the generation today, and I do not believe that it's all of them. may not even be most of them. I meet a lot of kids that go, Mr. Potato Head, that bothers you. 
Think about how far we've come. It's so sad. But remember this, it's like you may not like submitting to your boss or submitting to the police or or submitting to authorities in this world, and they may be ridiculous, and sometimes they may be wrong, but unless you are about to have to compromise the Word of God, when you submit to them, remember, you are truly and really submitting to God. You're not doing it for their sake. You're doing it for God's. Matter of fact, you just think about it. Peter, <laughs> he, when Jesus told him to rise and eat of those things that he had considered unclean, he said two words, and it was our first self-refuting statement in Scripture that I know of. No, Lord. Those two words don't go together. You don't say, no, Lord. If he's Lord, you don't say, no. And, and God had to give him a little lesson in all of that. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever it is I want to do. But freedom, according to Christ and the Scriptures in the New Testament, is the liberty to do what I ought to do, not to do whatever it is I want to do. Yeah, we're free. And then thirdly, the results of this submission. He says, for such, in verse 15, is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men nothing will shut them up faster than to watch you bow down be humble serve someone that's not worth serving they don't deserve respect but you gave it to them anyway what they ask of you was above and beyond the pale and you did it and you did it quietly and when they reviled you you didn't revile them you kept your mouth shut And you did what you were told. He doesn't say compromise the Word of God. And let me give you a great example of this. I think about Daniel. In the book of Daniel, they asked him to do things, told him to do things that he knew was in violation of God's Word. And do you see how Daniel did it? He said, well, I'll tell you what, let me eat of the diet that I want to eat of and your guys eat of whatever they want to eat. And let's check it out and see where we are at the end of the day. And that got him through that one. He made a great point. He earned a lot of respect from the king. But later on when he was told, if you don't stop praying, you're going to the den of lions. He did not stop praying. He kept praying, and he wound up in the den of lions. So no, I'm not telling you when somebody tells you to do something that is against the will of God, I am not saying for us to bow down our knee to anybody but God. But sometimes in human institutions, we bow down to people that may not deserve our respect because God does deserve our respect. And we do it to glorify Him. Submission. Secondly, suffering. Suffering. He is our example in both of these. Now, just how did he suffer if he is our example? Three ways. One, he suffered innocently. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That means guile, deception, ulterior motives. No. Full of integrity. Full of integrity. Had committed no sin. No deceit found in him. Eight, 
hundred years before he was born in Bethlehem. Listen to this. Isaiah writes, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Did you get that? Because maybe I almost lost you on the last point. I actually was thought about maybe we might get a few more amens. I know it's, it's tough, isn't it? I don't know, man. I'm telling you, boy, they're asking us to do things today. I just don't think that would be of God. I understand. It's a, it's a, it's a thicket. I got that. But let's make sure we follow in his steps. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before it shears. He did not open his mouth. Man. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. You know, we, we have so, we read Scripture someday, sometimes, and I don't know that we really grasp the meaning of a lot of these words. A lamb led to the slaughter. I think I was fortunate in a lot of ways because I was raised on a farm. It wasn't our only source of income. But it was about the 90% source of our food. We raised almost everything we ate. We had cows. We had chickens. And I remember thinking when we had goats, we didn't have anything we wouldn't eat. Okay? Goats and all. When that song came out, Goat's Head Soup by, I forgot who it was, Greg, you'll have to help me with that one. I thought, man, somebody's talking about supper. <laughs> I remember as a little boy, and I don't, I don't want to gross you out here, but I, I, I think we need to understand what being slaughtered means. I remember as a little boy us walking a, maybe a young calf out and me looking in those big old eyes, knowing that in about one minute you're not going to be here anymore. And I, and, and I didn't cry. I was used to it. We, we, we did it all the time. I, I know that sounds tough. Just to look at, we had goats one time, man. We petted them and named them and all of that and, and then killed them and ate them. I mean, we even talked about who we were eating. This is old Billy. I remember looking in those little eyes that looked like glass marbles. Thinking when my dad touches that trigger, your life ends. I, I don't think we realize it when we talk about a sheep being led to the slaughter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like that. He did not open his mouth. Didn't open his mouth. And he knew what was about to happen. Knew what was about to happen. And it says in verse 23, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to he who judges righteously. I, I give myself to the one who judges righteously. And he knew that that was actually himself, but he had entrusted himself to God. I, I can tell you this, and we'll move on to our last two points, but nobody wants to stand before a just God or a just judge but God. 
Jesus is the only one. Because you think about this, when we start crying for justice, justice means you get exactly what you deserve. You kill someone, you die for it. That's justice. That's raw justice. I'm not uh, saying that's how it ought to be done in every case. I'm simply telling you, that's what justice is. So before you and I began to cry out for justice, and I want to stand before a just God. Remember, the only one who ever wants to stand before a judge who is truly just is going to be Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so glad that he gave me his righteousness, heard this before, as a free gift. So when I do stand before him, I don't have to make up some excuses. I, I, I don't have to beg for his mercy I already have. He has given me his righteousness and I can stand before him fully just before God Almighty, not because of me, but because of the grace of God who has given me his righteousness. Don't you dare go stand before him without it. You won't like how it turns out. Oh, but I've been done wrong. Won't matter. You've done others wrong. Yeah, but I didn't have a good chance. Well, others hadn't had a good chance either. Some have had it worse than you and made better decisions. You don't want to do it. Let him be with you when you stand before God. He suffered innocently. Secondly, he suffered incredibly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. There's another word. On the cross. We've turned the cross into a piece of jewelry. I wonder if people would think you were odd if you had a little gold gas chamber hanging around your neck. Boy, the Goths would have loved that. I don't know if they're still around or not. i got to meet with my boys down here. These three right here keep me abreast of what's going on in the world. What, what, what if you had a hangman's noose? Get in trouble for that. But I'm just saying, those are instruments of execution. The cross has become cute. It's become an earring. Let me, let me take you even another step. What if we heard that a gang of hoodlums took a, oh, some guy in his early 30s. The cops just found him yesterday. They beat him until he was almost dead. But the autopsy shows that before, that even or even when, they took some big old pieces all of rebar about that long and took him out here in the woods and they found a big white oak and they just kind of hoisted him up on it, still gurgling and, and fighting for air and they drove those pieces of rebar through his hands and feet and left him hanging there. And he finally just hung there till he died. Oh, man, that'd be in the news all over the world. But we've made the crucifixion a movie scene. I, I, and I, I don't think we can help it, but I, I don't think we understand. When we start talking about, well, I'm not doing that because I just think that's ridiculous. Really? Really? The Son of God did that for us, and we're going to come up with something. Well, I just don't think I ought to have to be asked to do this, that, or the other. And, 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 and I just think I'm above having to, to, to do this or, or, or to submit to that or whatever. Look what the Son of God did for us. And if He is our example, He said, come follow me. 
He didn't say read a book about me or appreciate what I've done or hang up a picture of me or sing songs about me. He said, I told you, come and follow me. By the way, he said, take up a cross and bring it with you. You're going to need one to die on because of where we're going. It's a powerful word. He died innocently, suffered innocently. He suffered incredibly. Thirdly and last of all, he suffered intentionally. Verse 24, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. I remember hearing a a story about an old soldier. Had a leg missing from the war. Somebody asked him something about him losing his leg in the war. He said, I didn't lose it. I gave it. I didn't misplace it. I knew when the gate fell on that boat, it wasn't going to be good for some of us. Jesus didn't die as a martyr. Progressive Christianity likes to say that. And they like to say that we came along later and make up, made up all the jazz about, well, his death paying for our sins. And that any God that would kill his own son for other people is no different than those old Canaanite deities. And that's where all those ideas came from, blah, 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 blah. And I like it when they say, well, the early church really didn't believe that. That was, was later. It came hundreds of years later. Read some of the historians. Tacitus, he was an absolute born and bred heathen. He wrote to the emperor one time and said, these Christians I have, they love each other. And he said, they keep trusting in this one they say is their Savior. His name is Jesus. Oh, Tacitus wrote a long time ago. There's people that won't believe Paul, but they'll believe Tacitus. He's considered a source. I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't die a martyr. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. He gave his life for us. And out of it, he says three things in this verse. He gave us freedom. He gave us righteousness. And he gave us healing. He gave us healing. I love this. He says, but you were constantly, in verse 25, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you return to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. They were led to the slaughter. In the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. That's an important word for us to remember. And and, and he said, and by, by his wounds we are healed. This should clear it up. I know a lot of people take what Jesus did on the cross to mean that, well, if I speak it and declare it and believe it, I, 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 God died on the cross for me having the flu, and I can get rid of it. I can speak it out of me. I can speak this diabetes right on out of here because that's why Jesus died. By his stripes, we are healed. I want to tell you something. And it might corrupt your theology, but it's biblical, I can tell you that. But let me say this to you. If God had only wanted to heal cancer, he could have done that from heaven. We had a deeper need than the flu and COVID. 
We were sin sick. And we needed a Savior. Man, I, don't, I, I hated it got so mixed up. And people made something out of it that it didn't mean. But I'm glad he talked about healing. Man, when sin's got a hold of you, you need healing. Man. I, 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 I see people that, they're born-again Christians. I, I, I believe that. They, they've accepted Christ. But they got somebody that did them wrong, hurt them. And they're living rent-free in their head. And they need healing. They're scared to let go, maybe, of that anger or whatever it is. They're scared to let that relationship be made right. People are divided and split. God has to heal. Marriages, sometimes what a marriage needs is healing. And God is the only one that can do it. What sin has done to us, God can heal. And sin can leave you devastated. Yes, sir, Reed. It can leave you devastated. It, it can leave you angry. But I can tell you right now, if, 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 if there's somebody in your life that, that you just, the hatred for them has started to uh, determine whether or not you come to church or, or, or your hatred for, for that person has, has, has drawn you away from God. You can't even read the Word of God without thinking about them all the time. And, and, and maybe it's something else in your life. Maybe you were hurt years ago. I, I, I empathize with you. Maybe you were raped. I, I'm, I'm serious. Maybe you were molested as a child. I can tell you something. Don't think I'm not appreciating your pain. But you can be healed if you want to be. I think about what Jesus said in the Gospel of John to a man that had been sick 38 years and spent every day of his life hanging out with other people who were just as sick as he was. He was hanging out by the pool. And he said, when the angel stirs the water, I, I don't have anybody to put me in the water because they believed there was an underground spring or something that bubbled up. And they believed that when the angel, that was an angel. And when the angel stirred the water, they believed the first one in. And I can see them right now all going toward it like a bunch of fat sea lions trying to get in the water. First one in gets healed. Jesus asked this man a question. Do you want to be healed? I used to think that was a dumb question. 42 years of pastoring, change your mind about that. I met a lot of people in my life don't want to be well. Because what they know is pain. Freedom is the unknown. There might be some responsibility out there. Because remember what Jesus told this man to do? He told him to do something he hadn't done in 38 years. Take up your bed and walk. What if the first thing Jesus tells you to do if you want to be well is something you've not been able to do in 38 years? It might not be take up your bed and walk. It might be to forgive somebody. Well, I didn't know it until that. You know what they did to me, preacher. Mm -hmm. They're still doing it to you. That man that hurts you is still hurting you. 
still molesting you every day. Let God set you free. Bring some healing. Two things. If we follow Jesus, there's going to be some submission. And there's going to be some sacrifice. I would ask you today, before you go home today and look at your wife and go, I don't know about all that. (laughs) Read this passage again. And read it again. And read it again. And say, God, speak to my heart. Because this don't sound right to me. It goes against everything I've stood for. Speak to me, God. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now and I ask you, Father, help us, Lord. You, you've, you, you've led us today into a thicket. You, you've, you've led us, Lord, to a place of difficult decisions. How do we know, Lord, when it's time to take a stand and, and, and say no? And, and when is it, Lord, time to honor the dishonorable, to give respect to the disrespectful? All for you, Lord, so that you can be glorified in us. How are we going to know, God? We need you to help us with that. I pray today that you would, Lord. This is not easy. God, we realize and know that finally, Peter wouldn't quit preaching. Peter wouldn't quit telling the truth. And yeah, Peter was crucified by Nero. Paul wouldn't quit preaching. Paul wouldn't quit telling the truth. And yes, they hacked off his head. We know there's a time, God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us before we bow up, claim our rights, stand firm in our pride. I pray you'd help us, God, to know when. We might just touch someone in this world like they've never been touched when they see us do the supernatural. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.